Hi, my name is Todd Nettleton. I'm the host of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. I hope you will join us for the Imprisoned for Christ virtual event. We're going to hear from three former prisoners for Christ about their times of trial, their times of suffering, and yet the goodness of God that shone through even during a beating, even in a solitary confinement cell. I know that after you hear their stories, you're going to be encouraged in your own walk with Christ. You're gonna be encouraged to be more bold to advance his kingdom where you're at, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your school. This is gonna be a great event that is gonna challenge your faith. It's also gonna remind you to pray for the thousands of our brothers and sisters who are still in prison right now for the name of Jesus Christ. I hope you'll join us for the Imprisoned for Christ virtual event. good to see all of you here this morning. Um, that first video, did you watch it? Did you see what was going on in people's lives? People who are trapped, people who are discouraged, people who feel alone, people who just don't know God. And yet, God reached out to them through who? People, us. He has people working for him here in the U.S., throughout the world, and that's part of what we are involved with here. It's a very important part of Grace Community Church, missions. And it's local, and it's also in other countries. The second video, Imprisoned for Christ, Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, I'm up here to talk to you about our missions conference coming up the first week, first two weeks of March. Uh, we always have it that time period uh, each year. This year, we really wondered what was going to happen, if we'd be able to do it. And so we've had to kind of accept a different format. What you see up there, uh, a Voice of the Martyrs in Prison for Christ, is a virtual event, meaning that they're going to hold it online, and we, the church, are hosting it here as well. So uh, we encourage you to come and hear from these men who uh, gave their entire lives to Christ as a living sacrifice. They lived to do his work in various countries. They were beaten, they were arrested, they were imprisoned, uh, yet God was good to them uh, through all of it. So we encourage you to come to that. The conference will begin with this event. It's on Friday, March the 5th, Friday evening at 6.30. It's a rather long one. It goes to 10 o'clock, but the good thing is it's broken up into different sessions, one for each of the speakers speakers with uh, worship music by Natalie Grant in between uh, and surrounding it all. So we encourage you to begin with that. This is the first reminder. You've got the flyer on the seats uh, to let you know about it. After this Sunday morning, we're going to have, again, a virtual missions conference. We're having speakers who have recorded messages for us describing, uh, updating their work in the field and what God has been doing, and perhaps what their needs are that you can pray for and participate in as well. Sunday evening will be, again, virtual, but this will be a live Zoom session. We will have three of them. You get to choose which one you want to go to. 
will tell you a little bit more about it. Or if you want, we have flyers, our pam uh, brochures. There's a few out on the table in the lobby just as you go out the doors here. Um, we didn't print a whole lot of them yet, but we will for the uh, conference itself. Look at that and see what those virtual speaker, who those virtual speakers are. They will give us an update again of what they've been doing, what they're seeing the Lord do. But because it's virtual, it opens them up to receive questions from us. So come to one of those sessions. Uh, if you don't want to stay until 10 o'clock, that's fine. Listen to one speaker. Go home. Listen to all of them if you're feeling encouraged to do so. We will have refreshments uh, both at the Voice of the Martyrs uh, uh, seminar and as well as the uh, Sunday evening uh, Zoom sessions. Also, we had a bonus. We had not expected it, but one of our missionaries uh, from India, Jeff and Angie Hicks, are in town that weekend, or the two weekends after, rather, and they asked if they could speak to the church. So the uh, week of March 14th, that Sunday, uh, the Hicks will have the services and uh, update you on what they've been doing. They're currently stateside, and they're trying to get back uh, into India. And if you know anything about what's happening in India, it's very difficult for missionaries to get in there. The government is very anti-Christian. So what they do and have been doing for some time is they're able to uh, enter through platforms like business models that they can carry to that government and say, I would like to set up a business, a coffee business here in India. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy coffee. We're going to sell it to local vendors who grind it and sell it. And the government says, that's great. It's helping the country, so we'll let you in. They use those types of platforms um, to get entrance into the countries and to be able to spread the gospel and help the believers that are there as well. So I encourage you to come and participate with us in missions conference. Uh, we'll do another reminder next week and uh, hope you are encouraged to come. Thank you. Good morning. He is able. Amen. He is worthy. Amen. Amen. So glad to be with you here this morning. Uh, let me welcome you here if you are visiting with us. I actually have my cousin here. She's from Tennessee and her husband. So we're delighted to have them visiting with us. They've been holed up in ice up in Tennessee. So they've been there isolated for quite a while up on the mountain uh, and uh, it's kind of the way we are in our world today isn't it so a lot of people with what's going on in our world are uh, really susceptible right now and so I want to encourage you as a believer these are some uh, some some exciting times to live in uh, as uh, they can be challenging it has its own set of challenges but there are people looking there are people looking for interaction and uh, we have something, the truth of God, that resides in us so um, that uh, we can offer them. We can offer them hope, a true hope. So, um, so let me welcome you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, you want to learn more about us as a church, uh, our distinctives are on our website, gccdeerfoot.com. If you want to go there and learn a little bit more about us, uh, please do so. So. Well, let me uh, get you to stand this morning, and uh, we're going to read our scripture verse this morning. If you want to turn into your Bible in uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, we'll read that together. Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Pray with me. So, Father in heaven, we bless you. You are faithful, uh, though we are oftentimes unfaithful. Uh, we bless you. We thank you for a word of truth that you haven't left us to speculate as to what uh, is true. But you yourself have spoken to us uh, through the course of history, uh, through men that you have selected to reveal your truth to, and that you manifest truth yourself in the person of your Son, and that we can have a life beyond this sphere that we live in by faith in what he has done for us. We bless you. So bless us today as we come together as a body. Might you be glorified today. We ask this for the sake of Christ. Amen. Good morning, everyone. As you guys remain standing, um, we thought it would be a good idea today uh, to take a moment and ask the Lord to quiet our hearts. You know, if you're like me, many times it's easy to roll through here and roll up to church, and there's tons of noise going on in your heart. I'm not talking about indigestion. I'm talking about just noise, life noise. And um, we want to take a moment and allow you guys to take a moment to ask God to quiet our hearts as we worship him. So you just take a few moments right where you're standing and bow your head and spend that time with the Lord before we begin our time of worship. So this morning as we start out, um, I love the third phrase of this song. It says, open my eyes, let me see. And so a lot of times um, it's easy to forget the privilege that God has given us, that he has literally opened our eyes to see not only our need for a Savior, but that indeed Jesus Christ is that Savior. So let's kind of hover around that this morning and start out and sing and worship together. Light of the world. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. So here I am. 
some verses about the fact that this great God not only sent Jesus Christ to save us, but then his word declares that he is with us. God is with us. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. 
be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 and 8 says this. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 8 says this. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. You saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Let's all sing together. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will still give thee aid, I'll strengthen me, help thee, and cause thee to stand, but help by my gracious omnipotent.
Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Beside you, open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Sing worthy. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Oh, yeah, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wander and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I will build my life upon you. Trust in you alone. 
other name among men by which we can be saved but Jesus. That's what this song is about. Jesus 
confusion in our world today with what's going on uh, regarding events around us and uh, people are looking to the world looking outside of themselves but they're looking to the world for answers and for solutions we have that answer don't we uh, we have that answer through complete submission you want to eliminate confusion in life simple way to do that submit yourself to Jesus Christ so um, I wanted to share a verse with you before we start this morning, kind of put a little context here. I like this particular translation from the book of 1 Chronicles. Uh, from the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. 
This is 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. Uh, All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. Uh, One of my favorite movies is a movie uh, by the name of Shawshank Redemption. Any of you seen that movie before? Uh, 1994 for some of you younger people. So, uh, It's a story of a wrongfully convicted banker who goes to prison for the murder of his wife. And he plans a great escape from prison and carries it out. Well, one of the characters in the film was a man named Brooks Hatland. Brooks was an elderly man in prison who had been serving as an aide in, in the prison library. And he had been in prison so long that he had become institutionalized. And well, his time came up for parole and he was let out of prison. And his adjustment to the outside world didn't go so well. Uh, Before he took his life, committed suicide, he wrote a letter back to his prison buddies. He stated, I can't believe how fast things move on the outside. I saw an automobile once when I was a kid. Now, they're everywhere. The world went and got itself in a big Question, have you ever looked at our present world and had the thought that it's just gotten itself into a big hurry? Would you say that we live in a bizarre, rapidly changing world? I remember my youth, which seems like yesterday, walking down the hallway to my you know, room to, to have a private conversation on the telephone with the coiled phone cord stretched out halfway across the house behind me. Uh, You know, today you wonder, I wonder if she's on the phone. You know, back then it's like, yeah, he's on the phone because you're inconveniencing everyone else by this coiled phone cord being stretched out across the house. But, uh, you know, uh, in in my youth there was uh, an insulation from the outside world as there were about three ways that you could get information beyond your domicile. You had the TV, which was four channels, okay? And nobody watched any of the major ones because you you were stuck on WTTO or, you know, watching Andy Griffith all day long or something like that, so. uh, But uh, you had the rotary phone and you had the mailbox, okay? Uh, Bob Dylan, he had no idea, did he, the enormity of his words? For the times, they are a changing game. Okay. Uh, we've come a long way since the days of coiled phone cords. We now live in what's called the age of the information economy. Technologically, the world has undergone some seismic activity. For those of us that uh, operated coiled phone cords and uh, witnessed the rollout of Windows 95, remember that? So, the lure of information posed by the internet led to the recognition among technological entrepreneurs that if internet access by way of some type of mobile device were possible, uh, they could not only harness you know, great psychological control over populations, but also make enormous profits as such a device had endless social and economic application. Well, the discovery of the unique conductive properties of a particular element, indium, led to the unveiling of the iPhone in 2007. And other touchscreen applications followed. 
presto. Online social media platforms burst onto the scene. Speaking of social media, uh, my wife defriended me on Facebook. Kidding. Uh, you can still be friends without being friends in cyberspace. Uh, but, you know, it was an experiment, I guess, on her part to see how long we would be strangers on Facebook. Uh, now, we still use Messenger. Uh, you know, it went on for about five weeks, I guess, before finally, you know, I was trying to tag her in a picture, and I'm like, you know, to no avail. Uh, you know, I, so I had to uh, send my wife a, a request again, uh, be friends. But in my defense, though, we weren't complete strangers. Uh, you know, I even, you know, I even connected with her on Telegram. So, uh, but they say, you know, a, a wife uh, can bring balance to your life. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, back to uh, social media. You know, social media, you know, has increased the proliferation of information, narratives. Uh, it also led to massive data mining, piggybacking on the emerging surveillance culture that had grown out of the measures taken post 9-11. The app economy exploded and people now had the ability to stay connected with their friends continually, virtually. And they also had the ability to stay connected with a variety of interests, personalities, influencers, breaking news, or propaganda, depending on your perspective. Okay. Uh, digital sugar to the brain, one blogger said. Uh, according to Statista, uh, the, the number of mobile phone users in the world passed the 4.7 billion mark in 2020. Uh, B.J. Fogg of the Stanford Persuasive Tech Lab, sounds kind of interesting, coined the term captology, C-A-P-T, computers as persuasive technology. Uh, designers create these apps with the express goal of changing human behavior. As for much of the world, our lives are being conducted online via our computers and mobile devices. We're living in a world which some pundits describe as digital feudalism, having become tethered to our personal devices. Uh, one pundit said this, our jobs are being conducted online, our banking is bank conducted online, our schooling is occurring online, our social connection takes place online, our ordering of grocery delivery takes place online, our sources of information and news are all conducted online via our computers and phones. We have gradually become digital serfs. The insulation between you and the outside world has utterly vanished due to technology. Yet a maxim of history is as technology increases, what happens to morality decreases. That's a maxim of history. It's true of every civilization that has ever existed. Um, have you ever felt as though you've awakened into a different universe? 
You felt like that? Uh, Brooks Hatland felt that way. Actually, a fellow by the name of James Sire, a man who understood the signs of the times, he wrote a book entitled The Universe Next Door. Uh, Sire examined the plethora of worldviews shaping Western culture, theism, deism, naturalism, Marxism, nihilism, existentialism, Eastern monism, New Age philosophy, postmodernism, Islam. Man has quite the imagination, doesn't he? Um, Sire's book is about these clashing worldviews in the Western culture, how man perceives truth, and how we as Christians should engage those with opposing worldviews. Sire notes this, he says, Knowledge is power, Francis Bacon said in a peculiarly prophetic moment. He was right. Modern scientific knowledge has demonstrated its power for three centuries. With postmodernism, however, the situation is reversed. There is no purely objective knowledge, no truth of correspondence. Instead, there are only stories. Stories that, when they are believed, give the storyteller power over others. Our world has been radically altered by scientific knowledge and technological inventions. However, beware. Albert Einstein said himself, we should take care not to make science our God. It has, of course, powerful muscles, but no personality. Science in and of itself is a cold and empty God, should you make it so. Uh, it's just data. So, in a society that has embraced secularism, if you don't know what secularism is, it's living life with no moral absolutes to the exclusion of God. Sire's book is very relevant, very relevant to our current debacle as we live in perhaps the most polarized era in our nation's history with regard to how we perceive the very events that are unfolding around us. Uh, Gunnar Grass said this, he said, information networks straddle the world. Nothing remains concealed, but the sheer volume of information dissolves the information. We're unable to take it all in. Only God's omniscient, all-knowing. And natural man is left retreating to the comfort of an ideological camp, a finite ideological camp, to which his tickling ears favor. Uh, one meme kind of encapsulated uh, what we're seeing take place uh, succinctly. What a culture we live in. We're swimming in a sea of information, but drowning in ignorance. Uh, without an absolute reference point, man is unable to decipher chaos. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know, as our world pulsates with so much information, a growing number of entities and individuals have begun to embrace things like uh, wearable tech or artificial intelligence or transhumanism as solutions to our predicament. Uh, not only do we deal with information overload, uh, we must also cope with an ever-present and ever-growing sea of deceit. Good old-fashioned storytelling 
just rehashed in a sophisticated manner in a sea of information. Uh, concerning the opinions of men, our society has divided into these camps, you know, whichever one says whatever their tickling ears want to hear. Well, Mark Twain said this, he said, There are laws to protect the freedom of the press of speech, but none that are worth anything to protect the people from the press. If man has no standard of truth, what does he do? He makes his own. Storytelling is not new. It's as old as the devil himself. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, ye shall become as gods. Uh, Moses said to Aaron, what'd you do? Aaron said, well, they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Classic storytelling. It's in our nature, isn't it? Well, there's a particular destructive philosophy that's alive that I wanted to address this morning. It's alive and well in our world among many of the influencers of our day. Frederick Nietzsche's nihilism. You guys ever heard of that? Nihilism? What is nihilism? Well, it's a philosophy, I'll tell you this, that's radically opposed to Judeo-Christian values. Uh, nihilists hold this. They hold there's no standard of, of absolute truth. Do we see that today? I do what feels good. I do what feels right. Nihilists hold that all values are essentially baseless. Nothing can be truly known. Our existence is just an endless war of each against all. Life is, for the nihilists, just a, a rat race where we are to win at all costs. Sound familiar? Do we see that in our society? A race of, uh, of self-exaltation where one makes his own truth. It's what Nietzsche said, perspectivism. Everybody has their own perspective. So, ye shall be as gods. It is utterly destructive. It's hostile to the Christian faith. Um, natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. for They are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, since there's no storyteller, you are the storyteller. Clown world, some people would say. Uh, a prudent person sees evil and hides himself. But the naive proceed and pay the penalty. Nihilism is slick and destructive. Beware. Hide yourself from it. Uh, the Christian's bedrock of truth comes from the very mouth of God, not from hollow philosophy, not from the state. All scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. If you want to know what truth is, you don't turn to men, okay? As a Christian, you have the spirit of God that resides in you, and you have his word, all right? If you want to know truth, you turn there. G.K. Chesterton, he once said this, he said, abolish religion if you like, throw everything on secular government if you like, but do not be surprised if a machinery that was never meant to do anything but secure external decency and order fails to secure internal honesty and peace. So be careful. Be careful what you expose yourself to. Understand the times. Uh, Cyrus said this, uh, he said it, 
very short, very concise. A fearless honesty should characterize both our self-analysis, where we are now, and our pursuit of truth. The psalmist says, thy words a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So, brethren, brothers and sisters, are we following Jesus or are we following the ways of the world, the narratives of the world? Uh, are we honoring God with our time, with our activities? How much time do we devote to our devices? Now, look, I'm going to have you guys know, you know, with everything going on in our world, I know many of you have been susceptible to this. I know I am, okay? You're searching for answers, okay? But you can only take with a grain of salt what's out there. That's truth, okay? Uh, be careful. Be careful. But you need to, we need to evaluate how much time we spend on our devices uh, because they can, they can subtly seduce us, can't they? Uh, what do we expose ourselves to on our devices? Uh, who do we follow on social media? What do they hold to? Are we allowing our mind to become infested with erroneous secular thought? Do we have a physical life and a cyber life? Do we have a, a sacred life and a secular life? If so, that's unbiblical. God wants all. He wants all of you, and he is a jealous God. Uh, be careful. Uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. As Christians, how should the world, how should the world perceive us as we contend with narrative warfare or technoference? You ever heard that term? Technoference? I have a coworker, no kidding, he, he has a flip phone. He says, I don't have time for all that. So, uh, I'm not telling you that's what you should do, okay? But that's his, that's the way he does it. I don't have time for all that, so. Well, uh, I meant to print this on your handout, but uh, I, uh, I left it off, so that means you'll just have to write it down, so. We must practice cognitive resilience. How do we rise above? How, complete submission. That's how you do it. How do you live in truth? You completely submit yourself to God. The Apostle Paul gives us some practical instructions with regard to safeguarding our minds. Turn into, turn to in your Bible there to Romans chapter 12, some overview, some context here. Romans 1 to 3, Paul addresses our condemnation for which God has provided a solution. We were condemned. We were condemned in our trespasses and sin, and God provided a solution in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Romans 3 to 5, uh, he addresses justification. How are we justified? How are we declared righteous before God? Well, uh, God has provided the, impu uh, the imputation of righteousness as he credits the righteousness of God to us through faith in Christ. In Romans 6 to 8, Paul addresses sanctification. Whereas he has provided the impartation of his righteousness in our daily living through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in chapters 9 to 11, Paul shows, uh, shows that God provides vindication. Uh, chapters 9 to 11 are what we call the uh, historical section or the national section. Paul explained how God is faithful. 
to his covenant promises to the Jews as God has a future for them. And they will one day experience the blessings that God has laid out for them. So we've got the doctrinal section, the national section in Romans 1 to 11, which stresses a right relationship with God. In summary, God has done everything for us, okay? He has brought us from condemnation, okay? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, he has provided justification, okay? We are declared righteous through faith in Christ. Uh, he has provided a way of, to be sanctified, the Holy Spirit which lives in you. Uh, vindication, that God is faithful to Israel, okay? He's, he's true to his covenant promises, and all of this is done by God, by his very love. Well, you got a turning point here in chapter 12. 12.1 begins the practical section, the concept of dedication. Whereas 1 to 11 concerned itself with the things that God has done, chapters 12 to 16 concern itself with the Christian's response. In light of what God has done, what should the Christian life look like? Well, Romans 12 to 16 is a call. It's a call to action. And since God has done all these things, how do we live our lives? Do we trust Christ as Savior? Walk away? Turn to him when we need him? Treat him like a rabbit's foot? No. There's a genuine response. We're called to dedicate ourselves to God as God gave his best to die. We give our bodies for God's service. Um, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living, holy sacrifices, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind in order that you might test what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, 1 to 2 addresses the chief relationship, our relationship to God, which is foundational as it governs conduct in all the spheres of life. Um, therefore, I urge you, the therefore uh, here, it's there because it connects what follows with everything that came first. So, since God has done all these things for us, since he has, he, he's done everything and he is our everything, Paul appeal, you know, appeals to his readers saying, I urge you, I urge you, brethren. And the urging here is not merely a suggestion, but it's not quite a command. Paul gave a command in Romans 6, 19, uh, but it's in a milder tone here in the Greek. So it's a plea, it's a plea addressed to believers, not unbelievers. Uh, by the mercies of God. Uh, this phrase is, is in what's called the prime position in the Greek texts. In other words, it's the first thing that uh, the reader reads. Mercies is also plural because God's mercies are infinite. Okay? He has redeemed finite, depraved human beings. Through, uh, there were none who understood. There were none who sought God. Uh, we were condemned, we turned away, and uh, we were useless. There were none righteous, not one. Yet God has called a chosen people to himself from the darkness by his sheer grace, having given the very body of his son to die 
and be resurrected. He has imputed his righteousness to them through faith to a resurrected life. And Paul continues, to present your bodies. This word present here, this verb, it's in what's called the aorist tense. And it has an accent on something occurring at a point in time. It does not mean that it can't be renewed. It certainly can, and it probably does with most Christians. However, the use of this verb indicates that there is a point in time that it occurs. There comes a point in time in the life of every Christian that we make this commitment. Uh, I made this commitment when I was 15 years old. As a teenager, I was attending Central Baptist Church in in Argo uh, uh, with some childhood buddies, and we uh, heard the gospel, and all four of us made a decision. We made a decision to follow Christ. And to this day, these guys are committed. They're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, for myself, I needed some renewal because we can erect idols, can't we? We can. Uh, virtually anything. We can make an idol out of it. So, and when we erect idols, we become entangled in what? Self-exaltation. Okay? My idol was football. And uh, God had to use it. He had to use it to break me. And he did. And he showed me that it's a lousy idol. And uh, I was renewed. Now, if you've never committed, never came to this point, if you've never committed your life to Christ, this is the time. This is the time to do it and to totally commit your being to him as your master. Paul says, present your body. Now, what's meant here by the term bodies? Uh, Here it's the notion of totality, the entire body. Uh, in the Old Testament, you know, burnt offerings were to be completely consumed. Uh, notice it's not just a body or a corpse. It's a, a living and holy sacrifice. Under the Old Testament, the Israelites, they would bring animal sacrifices, vegetable sacrifices, you know, as it was expected of them to sacrifice unto the Lord. However, this verse here, what is expected of the believer here? In the new covenant, we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. The Old Testament sacrifices, they were were shadows, they were symbols is what they were. God doesn't need the burnt remains of an animal carcass, okay? He, he, He needs what that fire consumed carcass symbolizes, which is the living body of the supplicant, the living body of the worshiper. Uh, Calvary should consume us like a fiery pit. God desires all of us. Uh, you know, are we putting our time? Good question. Are we putting our time on the altar and saying, you know, Lord, you can have all my time. Uh, my time is at your disposal. God wants all of us. Uh, and he wants all of our resources. Uh, he wants us to say, you know, Lord, I, everything I have, I give to you. I put it on the altar. I give you control. Lord, I give you my will. I give you my opinions, which are now subject to the word of God. Uh, God, I no longer have a cause. I might have a job, but my cause is the great commission. I no longer seek glory. I seek to glorify you. Um, as your vessel, you know, Lord, where, where do you want me to go? As your vessel, you know, what do you want me uh, to do? What do you want me to say? 
Take my life. Let it be. Consecrated Lord unto thee. That sounds good, doesn't it? I'm going to make a song out of that. So. I give you, Lord, everything because of what you have done for me. That is a living sacrifice. Lord, I give you my speech, my morality, my attitudes, my marriage, my kids, my digital activities, my social life, my social media. I surrender myself completely to your narrative, not the narratives of the world. Lord, you can have it all because you are worthy. Uh, So we are a living sacrifice, but we are also what? What does it say? A holy sacrifice, set apart to God. To be holy means we're different. When we completely subordinate our entire body as a living sacrifice, we become different indeed, sanctified, set aside for him, and that's what God wants, a living and holy sacrifice. You know, oftentimes in the New Testament, in the epistles, the writer will identify himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And that means that the writer has completely surrendered himself to service unto the Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, in signing on to the Lord's agenda for life, he has become a bondservant. Uh, Paul says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God or well-pleasing to God. Uh, to give oneself completely to his service, that is what pleases God. And Paul then states that this is a fitting spiritual service of worship. Uh, To the Corinthians, Paul said this, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. If you are a Christian, you're a foreign ambassador in a foreign land. That's what you are. Our mind is to be laser-focused on spiritual things, as we do not what? We do not wage war according to the flesh. We're a people who worship the one true God. What What is worship? Worship is to give honor to someone who deserves it. In giving ourselves completely to his service, we're putting God in his proper stead, seeing that he gave everything for us, What is he worthy of? He's worthy of us. Our entire being. Our bodies. And by making this presentation to him, we are in essence worshiping God in the most genuine expression of worship possible. And this is the worship that the Lord seeks. The totality of your being and all other expressions of worship should stream out of this essential presentation. Uh, Paul continues, verse 2, and be, do not be conformed to this world. Uh, to be conformed to this world is to act as the natural man acts. Uh, the word conform, it literally means this, your form is with, meaning your form is with the world. Uh, actually, I was listening to a pastor teach on this text, and he said his wife, when she would teach this text, what she would do is she would take wiring, you know, because we're all wired. She'd take wiring, and she would put it in a bottle. And then she would break the bottle, and she would show them, you know, this is you in the bottle, conform to the world. And then she would t- bust the bottle, 
take the wiring out and show you don't, you're not just changed overnight. You're still in the form of the world. And you have to be changed. You have to be shaped. Uh, <clears throat> Interestingly, the verb here, conformed, has the connotation of being continual. Meaning that there is an ongoing element in our quest not to be conformed to the world. J.B. Phillips rendered it this way. And you might want to write this down. This is a good note. J.B. Phillips, he wrote, Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Isn't that good? Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. We have a tendency to adopt the characteristics of the world, don't we? This has become increasingly more challenging in a digital world, whereby mobile devices continually streamline secular agendas through social media by way of hashtags, hashtag culture. We succumb to the peer pressure of kowtowing to majority opinion, don't we? We yearn for likes, thumbs up, uh, on social media, don't we? We like to be accepted by the world. We have all felt the pressure of conformity, haven't we? Uh, in the face of saying something not too popular, but true, what do we oftentimes do? Cower, don't we? We become AWOL, absent without leave. We cower to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We indulge ourselves, don't we? Beware. We tend to value possessions, impressing other people. Um, Matthew said this, he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. The world will not applaud you for your devotion to Jesus Christ. It does not care. It will go cancel culture on you in a heartbeat. It doesn't care about moral standards, but it values what feels good. Uh, the world loves its own, and the reason we cower is because the approval of men just meant too much to us. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe said this, this is good. The nose of a mob is its imagination. By this, at any time, it can be quietly led. Well, Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to the herd. Don't be conformed to the mob. Uh, since the fall of man, there has been and there always will be until the Lord returns and takes us. There's always going to be a battle for your mind. Uh, the narrative, narrative warfare, that it's now you know, discernible. It's always been there, but it's more apparent to us now. It's discernible in cyberspace, through the computers, through the personal devices that we carry around 24-7, all the information that's flowing out and disseminating. Uh, let me throw this at you. As a matter of fact, new technologies are being employed in this warfare. Ah, listen to this, Poplar Mechanics. Poplar Mechanics wrote an article recently about the use of deep fakes. 
a technology invented in 2014 by Ian Goodfellow, a PhD student who now works with Apple. But according to popular mechanics, generative adversarial networks, GANs they call them, all right, they enable algorithms to generate or create images. Uh, in other words, storytellers can now create their own digital stories, okay, by putting the face of anyone on any actor. <laughs> that frightening. Put your face on someone else. So uh, that's frightening for our future. So we've moved from mere storytelling to now storytelling on steroids, uh, alternate digital realities. Uh, and while this complex war, uh, narrative warfare is being conducted in cyberspace, ultimately, who is it being waged upon? The consumer of that information to capture your mind in this information economy. Uh, have you become a consumer Christian? Be careful. Alan Hirsch said this, he said, let me get that to go to the next slide here, my clicker's not working. He said, uh, you cannot build a church on consumers. They'll desert you at a moment's notice because they have no commitments beyond meeting their own needs. Jesus can take 12 disciples and build a movement that changes the world. You could never do that with consumers. Are we engaged in consumerism? Are we givers or takers? Consumers are takers. They exalt themselves. Mere consumers of information, they can be holier than thou. Signal, virtue signalers. They like to call them online, so virtue signalers. Uh, we're to be givers, not takers. Uh, the very truth of God, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Uh, we are to sacrifice, give ourselves completely to the Lord's enterprise. You may have heard recently the term cognitive dissonance. You heard of that, anybody, recently? Heard the term cognitive dissonance? Okay. Uh, psychologists define it as a state of discomfort when two or more lines of thought come into conflict. Uh, it has received much atten attention lately because... Uh, a lot of people are struggling, struggling to understand the complexities of the events happening around us due to the volume of information and the rampant storytelling that has hastily increased. Well, one observer said it like this. A lot of people are struggling with developing cognitive resilience uh, because they don't understand the complex game. Uh, and they have no idea where to start. It's confusing. And uncomfortable, and it completely jacks with your perception of reality, meaning discussion cannot exist when there is a disparity of comprehension. As a society, due to this narrative warfare, we are also experiencing wars of words due to this disparity of comprehension. It's easy to be a chicken, isn't it? Behind a computer screen, by, you know, somebody you don't see, okay, and become a cyberspace responder, okay? a continual defender, a defender of your viewpoint, okay? Uh, especially if you are a consumer of information, one who is listening to respond. What's in it for me, okay? Rather than listening to listen. Incidentally, do Christians do this? Well, Pastor Thad warned us a couple weeks ago, didn't he? He said, 
this several weeks ago. We went to Paul, where Paul said to Timothy, remind God's people, warn them before God against quarreling about words, listening to respond. It is of no value. And it only ruins those who listen. Sophistry. Y'all know what sophistry is? Like a, you know, words. You know, that's the way the Corinthian church were in the book of, in the place of Corinth where the philosophers would go and they like to hear themselves talk. You know, use these vibrant words. So, sophistry. That's what we have. It's alive and well. Our society is experiencing large-scale social tension due to narrative warfare, but it's layered, isn't it? It's layered on top of social distance measures, quarantines, uh, lockdowns. You know, you get all this foisted upon society, and then, of course, that's coupled with what's relatively new, which is the pervasive temptation to reach into your pocket and to scroll through social media, okay, and uh, check your notifications and uh, check your texts, you know. Uh, We are undergoing some complex... Narrative warfare and technoference, right? Technoference, perhaps more than we've ever witnessed, okay? Uh, it's not to say it hasn't been going on for a long time. It's just manifesting itself in ways that we can see now. Uh, and many, it's confusing for a lot of people, but don't be confused. Beware, okay, what you put yourself in touch with. Paul says, do not be conformed to the world. But it's been building. All this has been building, hasn't it? You know, I've, through the years, I've heard countless stories the last few years of grandparents. You know, they, they just wanted intimacy, you know, with their grandkids. You know, maybe they took them out to lunch, and they went out to lunch, and they looked at their grandkids' head the entire time, leaving them disheartened, dejected. Uh, they want you. They don't want a drone. You know, I myself, I'm, I'm guilty of this, particularly over the last year where we've had a lot of bizarre things happening, okay? I'm quite guilty of this too. Uh, you know, I'm an avid student of the social sciences. I take in a lot of information. That's why my wife did, she deleted, you know, defriended me. So, but I'm here, I'm here. Uh, I, I found myself, you know, glued to my screen you know, watching history unfold, studying bizarro world, and my daughter will come at me and she will yank my phone away. Note to self. Uh, or my wife will say to me, you know, you're at home, but you're not at home. Be careful. We need to major in the majors, don't we? Yes, ma'am. I'm certain there are some of us here that have struggled with this over the last 11 months or so. So maybe even before that. But Paul continues, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how are we transformed? We're transformed through the renewing of our mind. Well, how do we do that? David said this, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We don't need the world's solutions of wearable tech to contend with a sea of information. We don't need the world's solution of artificial intelligence embedded in us, okay, to deal with a sea of deceit, okay? 
we don't need to be transhuman. We're already, in a sense, we're, we're already transformed, right? Uh, uh, transformative divine power resides in us because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We re- renew our minds by saturating our minds with the Word of God and approaching God's view of things in our lives, which is antithetical to the world's view of things. And that can be a difficult thing to do if we're tethered to the ways of the world through a mobile device rather than anchored to the ways of God. We balance. We're not to be formed with. We are to be transformed, changed, distinct, rare, unique. We're not simply to be different. We are to be completely transformed for his service. We are to continually pray for his understanding and for his guidance. And this is what pleases God. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. The renewing of our minds occurs as we submit, as we obey, as we study God's word, as we pray, as we adopt his view of things. And in this way, we get a new mind, a mind at odds with the minds of unbelievers. But be advised, this renewal puts us at odds with the world. What did Jesus say? If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. Paul concludes that you may prove what the will of God is. And here he's alluding to the moral will of God. As our minds are renewed, we will carry out the will of God. Uh, We experience uh, the will of God in our lives, that which is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Uh, Now, we're bound to falter. Because we are imperfect beings, but that's how we learn, isn't it? When we get out of the current out, when we get out of the current of God, ouch, right? You want to learn how to stay in the current of God's will. Uh, the sincere Christian desires to stay there. And Paul tells us in this verse how to do that. Present your body complete submission present your body as living and holy sacrifices Paul says when we do this we experience the will of God in our lives which is good well pleasing and perfect you know Genesis 22 7 is one of the most riveting verses in all the Bible Isaac said to his daddy he said uh, Abraham he said the fire and the wood are here but where's the lamb for the burnt offering Okay, Isaac knew what was going on. Uh, he was going to be the sacrifice. Uh, he was of age. He knew that he was going to be presented unless God intervened. And yet Isaac, what did he do? He presented himself as a living sacrifice to his father because he loved and he trusted his father. But God intervened and he provided a substitute sacrifice. And the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, said this. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And it was Jesus who perfectly presented himself on the altar for God. 
And with the Son of God, the Godhead required the ultimate sacrifice. And Jesus gave his entire physical body to die, but God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father as the head of the church and exalted Jesus Christ to the highest seat in the entire universe. Amen? Amen. Um, <clears throat> I was looking for a way to close this, and I listened to a lot of people and you know, studied and read a lot of people, and I think I heard this illustration from about three different guys, okay? And I tried to find an illustration to close us today that was better than this, and I couldn't find it. So, so this is how we'll close it, same way other people close it, because this is so good. A hen and a hog were conversing in the church parking lot. On the marquee, there was a verse that read, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And as hens and hogs do, they erupted into conversation about how they could feed the hungry. The hen said, I have an idea. We can give them ham and eggs. Uh, quite naturally, the hog responded, Now wait just a minute here. For you, that's a contribution. But for me, that is self-sacrifice. Well, that's what Jesus wants from us. A self-sacrifice, complete submission. God doesn't just want involvement. He wants sacrifice. He doesn't just want a contribution. He doesn't just want you one day a week. He doesn't merely want an hour of your time on Sunday. He doesn't yearn for an extra five in the plate at church. Uh, he doesn't want you periodically through your days oscillating between the ways of the world and the ways of and the way of God. He certainly doesn't want a drone linked into the matrix of an alternate reality distracted by secular narratives. Uh, he doesn't want to stare at the top of your head. Okay? He wants you. The total commitment of a living sacrifice. He is worthy. And he wants all of you. If you haven't done that, do that today. Pray with me. Father, we bless you for your word. Uh, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Uh, we confess that this challenge of living with you daily is, is a difficult challenge. Help us with your spirit, God, to be a living sacrifice that is continually yielded to you and one who seeks your glory and not glory for ourselves. So bless us as we go forward today and in the week ahead. Might we be lights in darkness and give us souls, Lord, to talk to. Open up opportunities for us to share your truth with others. We ask this for your glory and for your sake. Amen. You are dismissed.